Welcome to the Final Girls Podcast, where we're always going through super dark times in one way or another. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to this podcast, where we're looking at teen horror movies in depth and exploring why teenagers, especially teenage girls, make for some of the most compelling protagonists and villains of the genre. Now, while I say that teen girls mostly dominate the teen horror scene, today's double bill is a rare and amazing instance of the inverse happening. Both I Am Not a Serial Killer and Super Dark Times are art horror with teen boys at the center of them that actually look and behave like believable teenagers. And joining me to discuss both of these films is returning guest, YouTube video essayist and writer Yara Zaid. A quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the UK, and you can also leave this podcast a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'd really appreciate that and it helps people discover the show. As usual, please note that we do spoil everything about both these films pretty much from the beginning, so keep that in mind and if you haven't yet seen them, do seek out both of these films because they're both underrated horror gems from the last couple of years. And with all that said, please enjoy our takes on I Am Not a Serial Killer and Super Dark Times. Yara, welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, We've already been chatting for a while. It's already been a pleasure. Thank you for having me back. It's always fun to talk to you. I'm always nervous before we get started and then we start talking. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just shooting shit. It's fine. Yeah, that's that's what we're here for. Also, I actually really like I was seeing somebody on Twitter post about the fact that a lot of podcasters are now using the video and stuff. I'm like, I do not like that. That's why I love this format of recording. See, this is actually this is why I get excited to do this one, because usually I worry like, oh, my God, how do I look? Oh, is my my clothes okay? Do do I look okay? Am I going to sound dumb when I'm talking or, you know, have that thinking face on? You're just Mm -hmm. like, like you're zoned out or whatever. But here I don't have to worry about that. It's really laid back. I'm just like chilling in my pajamas. Me too. Not a care in the world. Exactly. Same. And also I gesticulate a lot. So my main worry is that I don't accidentally hit my microphone while we're recording. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I talk with my hands a lot. It really looks like I'm doing some sort of FKA twigs dance with my wrist. It's ridiculous. Sometimes I'm just trying to, and this is why I'm grateful for I use a recording system where there's no video. Sometimes my cat starts creeping up behind me, demanding attention. So I just have to sort of do some weird hand movements behind my back to distract him so he doesn't start meowing. <laughs> I can just, I, I, I picture for some reason the cat from uh, Pet Cemetery. I'm sure that's not your cat. He actually, just... he does not look dissimilar to Church, actually. He's like very chunky and gray. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you sure it's not the same cat? It might be. <laughs> He's a lot chiller, though. <laughs> Not as angry? No, only when he doesn't get his copious amounts of food. See, that's fair. <laughs> I'm the same way. Um, so, Yara, we're going to be chatting about two films that I don't think get talked about enough. Definitely don't yes. get talked about enough in horror podcasts because they're sort of sit in that my favorite gray area between art house films and horror films yeah. and where it's kind of like unclear like is this yeah. a horror movie or yeah and you know great titles for both of them which kind of lean into the horror but then the vibe and the aesthetic of them are kind of pulling from very different things so before we t- dig into both I'm not a serial killer and super dark times I just wanted to ask you about how you came to these films I kind of you know you picked them you were very excited about uh one of them in particular (laughs) okay well I'm gonna start with uh I am not a serial killer Mm -hmm. um this goes back all the way to high school I was a nerd whose only extracurricular activity was this thing called Reader's Valley we would just read a bunch of books and one of the books for that particular year can't remember which year it was was I am not a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And it was the first book I read for when the group started back up again. 
And so I was I wasn't even expecting a movie adaptation when the movie did come out. I think that was like what, 2015, 2016? 2016. Yeah. Uh I wasn't expecting it cuz at that point the book had been older and I know it wasn't a super popular book and usually the only YA books that get adapted are like, you know, the big ones, The Hunger Games, The To All the Boys Have Left Before Us. Mhm. And so I watched it and it has Max Records from Where the Wild Things Are as like an adult, which is wild. Um, (laughs) And that's how I came to it, basically, was just my relationship with the book, which weirdly enough, I know I read it. I do not remember reading it at all. Um, I feel like my brain just wiped that memory for some reason. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, And Super Dark Times, I don't remember when I came to that, but it was the year it debuted and I knew absolutely nothing going into it. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen the trailer, wasn't familiar with the directors. I think the only thing I was slightly familiar with was Owen Campbell mm-hmm. <clears throat> who plays oh my god, does he play Zach or does he play Josh? Uh he plays Zach. Okay. <laughs> um because he was in this movie called As You Are mm-hmm. in twenty sixteen, which I had seen. So that was the only thing I knew going into the movie and uh I was just blown away. I loved it so much. Oh, my God. And then I was nervous about watching it the second time because I was Uh like, what if I don't love it as much as I did the first time? And I still love it. I still walked away with a smile on my face like, yes, that's that's my shit. Amazing. Okay, so let's dig into them and let's start with um i'm not a serial killer um not just because it's chrono well mainly because it's in chronological order um and i i'll admit like i stupidly did not realize it was based on a novel or even you know i should say a series of novels oh my god there's more yeah, it's followed by <laughs> by five books. So John, I hadn't even known that. Wow! So wow, John... he goes on an adventure. Yeah, serial killing so adventure. Happy for him. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to read this because I am very attracted to the idea of a serial killer crime solving teenage sociopath. Yeah, which is a great yeah. premise. That was definitely the sell for me. It was like, oh my god, he wants to kill people, but he wants to stop people from being killed. <laughs> So, um, can you summarize the the plot of I Am Not a Serial Killer for me? Okay, excellent. So, there's this tiny, tiny town. Very charming place. Kind of creepy. Has that vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this teenager. I want to say he's like 16, maybe 15. His name is John. Actually, his full name is John Wayne. And I think in the book, they're like, he was named after the actor. But he also is conflicted because he's clearly named after the serial killer as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, people in town start not just dying, not just being killed, but like ripped to shreds. It looks like some sort of an animal attack. And he, um, his family, they own this mortuary and he helps mm-hmm. his mom and his aunt clean the bodies, do everything they got to do, right? And so he's seeing a lot of it up close and he's trying to figure out what the serial killer's MO is who they're targeting, um, and trying to figure out in this tiny town who it could possibly be while also fighting with his own urges of wanting to kill someone as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has his therapist who's talking him through it and everything. Horrible relationship with his mom. Uh, very disconnected, but he's trying his best to, you know, appear normal or be mm-hmm. normal so mm-hmm. he doesn't give in to these, you know, serial killer urges. And, uh... Yeah, he ends up finding out who the killer is. Should I tell them who the killer is? Yeah. Okay. It is this old man who loves his wife. I think the first time we hear him say anything, um, his name is Crowley, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's that he wants to send a kiss to his wife through the phone. So it's just a very sweet old man, but he is actually, I think, some sort of creature. I don't know if it's like alien or demonic. But basically, the body he is habitating is uh, some a body he stole a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he's killing people all over the town just to sort of keep this body, this human body, healthy. So he can keep it as a, a way to live in the town and continue to be with his wife. And so John has to get close enough to figure out how he could possibly take Crowley down while also not revealing himself to know what he knows just yet. 
It's beautifully summarized. And the only one thing to add is that Crowley is played by Christopher Lloyd in this movie. Yes, it is. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Christopher Plummer and my brain's like, no, that's not, you're way off. But yes, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. Who is such a kindly presence on screen that it is really unsettling to see him as a serial murderer slash alien serial murderer. But it's also kind of like the perfect serial killer for him to play too, because Mm -hmm. honestly, you kind of get it. You're like, oh, that's so sweet. He just wants to stay with his wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not killing people or maybe killing people isn't the best thing to do. Uh, but I get that you you just want to stay with your wife. It's kind of sweet. I don't know. <laughs> he is adorable. Everything is motivated by this by this love for his wife, and that's very much from the from the start until the end. But I wanted to uh, we'll come back to Crowley in a little bit. But I wanted to talk mostly about John Wayne Cleaver again. Great name for a teenage sociopath. Yeah. And as it says in the title and from the very beginning, he's like defined and quite proud of the fact that he's a diagnosed sociopath with homicidal tendencies (laughs) (laughs) so where's that like a badge of honor he really does like what do you make of him as um as the protagonist because in other movies he'd very much be the the weirdo in the background instead of the leading man and i think that's why this movie and why the book worked so well and why it was so intriguing for Mm -hmm. a lot of people because this is not the conventional protagonist we would see. We would mm-hmm. see someone who, you know, I guess they, they want to be a hero. They want to be a good person. And I don't know that John Wayne necessarily wants to be good as much as he is trying to appear normal. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like what he said to his therapist about how he, um, they were saying he has these tendencies like bedwetting and Mm -hmm. harming animals and he said you know it's funny until you told me that hurting animals was bad i didn't really think anything of it Mm -hmm. so i don't know how much is motivated for him just trying to be a good person as much as it is to appear normal which i think works so beautifully and i love can i just talk about i love the way max record is playing him please Um, do yeah what do you make of his performance Oh my god, I, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. It's all about subtleties. Uh-huh. And um I I also think he's kind of the best this is a teenager playing a teenager thing that I've seen in a long time. Really? Because, uh, the character itself is not overly witty or you know how they make those I don't even know the word for it, but those teenage and children characters who know way more than they should or mm-hmm. they um I don't know. They're just, I don't even know how to describe it. How would you describe it? You know what I'm talking about. Like too, like too fully formed. Yeah. Yeah. And like very precocious, I guess. Like I think, Um, I think there's something really odd about teenagers in movies and perhaps especially in horror movies that know themselves too well. Yes. Because who the fuck knows themselves as a teenager? I barely know myself now. Exactly. I'm still trying to figure this shit out. Yeah. And every day I'm like, I think I'm getting closer. And then I have another day and I'm like, you know what? That was wrong. Let me let me try again. I, mm-hmm. I'm figuring out the formula. I think that's why kind of these um uh, social kind of boxes are so important in high school and in teen movies, right? You know, you've got the jocks, the nerds, the cheerleaders, the uh, the weirdos, because that's how people categorize themselves. You know, this one identity that they fit into. Yes. Because nobody a, really a knows. Lot of people do forget about that when they mm-hmm. like critique that aspect of the teen movie. Is that I mean, teenagers do do that. Kids do try to categorize themselves to figure out where do I belong, where do mm-hmm. I fit, and that's why that's such a prominent thing. It makes perfect sense. Um, but I also just love the way he's played. I love the way he delivers his jokes and that little <laughs> he'll say something. And then obviously he doesn't get a laugh because it's either a really dark joke or mm-hmm. it's not that funny to begin with. And he'll have to just sort of smile sheepishly and be like, you know, that was a joke. Or, yeah. You know, so-and-so would have laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do love him. Um, he has this bully in mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. I love how he deals with him at that. I think it was a Halloween dance party. Yes. Where he sort of dressed like a, like a panda thing. Yes. And, um, 
he's smiling. So he says to his therapist, you know, anytime I feel like I want to hurt someone, mm-hmm. I just smile at them and I give them a compliment. And so we see these encounters with his bully. And every time his bully is tormenting him, he's just smiling in his face. And he says something like, I really like your shirt. I, mm-hmm. I really like your energy today. And so at the party, he's like, he, he leans in. The bully's messing with him. He's like, um, what does he say? Like, I'm a sociopath. And he yeah. says. He literally says, like, I'm a diagnosed sociopath with homicidal tendencies. Do you, yes, basically, do you like, really want to fuck with me today? <laughs> Right. He's like, you're like a, a cardboard box to me. It's not yes, that interesting. Yes. But if I cut it open, <laughs> who knows what's inside? I was like, oh, my God, I love this kid. I love that. Kid. Do you know the thing I also really appreciate about his particular weirdness, right? The fact that he is a protagonist and he's so self-aware, but in ways that like people have told him what he is as opposed to him understanding who he is or how he behaves like he is diagnosed as a sociopath which you know we can talk about that being like a catch-all term for people we're supposed to be sort of by default afraid of uh and and then he sort of leans into it he like wears it like a badge of honor but also he is always by himself he doesn't have Mm -hmm. a little pack of other high school weirdos that to to laugh at his jokes, to share his sort of sense of humor. He's mostly spends the movie by himself. Yes. He has one friend and it's like he doesn't even look at this person as a friend. It's just like I hang out with you so that I can feel normal. Because if I'm too mm-hmm. isolated, who knows what I'll do. Yes. Like I need a I need an audience to to listen to my serial killer facts. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, and I just love the I feel like it could have gone any way with someone some other actor playing him mm-hmm. but maybe it's because um Max Records was so close in age to the actual character or maybe it's just because he he knows what he's doing as an actor he delivered it in such a way that it was like it, it didn't feel like he was posturing in any sense you know what I mean mm. I think this I think this is one of the reasons why I also really like both of these films and re-watching them together the teenagers in both of these films look and behave like actual teenagers. Yes. They're, oh my gosh. They are yes. not grown people trying to be teenagers. They are so confused and lost and they say stupid things. They make stupid decisions. They're not, they don't really know who they are yet. And mm-hmm. it all, it's all there. Like everyone's performances. It's, it's really good. And what do you make of the way that this film kind of, uses or upends our idea of serial killers and you know not in real life but i mean in 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 horror movies in particular because we're so drawn to the figure of the serial killer both through true crime and through fiction yeah this movie's definitely sort of um uh flipped it around a bit because you do have like we said about crowley mm-hmm. he is the serial killer of the story yeah but you also see the humanity in him which is so strange and actually that's another thing that a uh, super dark times does as well is like capturing the humanity of these people to show that behind every evil action there is someone there who is mm-hmm. human who's not just like 100 percent evil like there is humanity in them And so you see that a lot with Crowley and you see that with John Wayne, you know, he's struggling with a lot of things and he hasn't hurt anyone yet, but his reaction, you know, towards the end of the movie, when he thinks he, when he thinks he did hurt someone, Mm -hmm. uh, what's Crowley's wife's name? Wife's name? Is it Kay? Uh, I'm going to double check just one sec. Uh, It is, yes, it's Kay. You're right. Okay. So when he thinks he, he's hurt Kay, the first thing he does is he calls his therapist. He's like, you know, I did it. I tried uh, I tried my best, but it's done now. There's nothing I can do. And he's actually very clearly freaked out. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, shifting it that way, because you get a lot of horror movies where the serial killers are vilified for whatever mental illness they might have. This one, it, it steers clear from that, which I think is really, really effective and interesting. Yeah, and there is something as well about the fact that he... There's a scene that I really like where he is afraid. Like when he first witnesses Crowley um, murder someone and his arm, yes, and his arm extends and stuff. He pees himself. Yes. Oh, my God. I love that, too, because he's so almost unaffected by things throughout Mm -hmm. it. And then that moment, he, he is scared shitless. And I love that detail of him, like, looking down, you pee and you see it. 
it's unsaid. It's, you know, doesn't need to be made a big deal out of it, but it says a lot about that moment of progression for him as a character. Mm. And what do you think about the way that once Crowley realizes that John is onto him and John realizes who Crowley is, it becomes kind of a, um, a cat and mouse game between them, between effectively like one potential uh, serial killer and an actual serial murderer slash alien. What does the dynamic between them look like? Uh, I feel like John Wayne looks at uh, Crowley in a sense of like, I could be you, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be you. But I understand he, he gets like, um, I don't know. It's almost it's this strange push and pull of him. Like when he calls the police, I think it's at the barbershop. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's helping the situation, mm-hmm. but then Crowley just kills the two other police officers. So now there's there's three dead bodies instead of one. Um, I love that moment. I don't know why I brought it up just now, mm-hmm. but uh, you just see that too for John Wayne. This is as much as uh, as much. How do I phrase this? Hold on one second. Mm-hmm. I might have to rephrase that. Sure. This is as much about continuing that normality and trying to keep himself away from being like a danger from other people. Mm. Whereas Crowley, I just think at this point, the only thing that matters is K. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he's found, I don't know, an emotional core mm-hmm. almost. And so that's the only thing he cares about. Nothing else matters. Whereas John Wayne is trying to look for something that matters beyond just his perception to other people, if that makes sense. Hmm. Hearing you talk about it, I think the thing that connects him is actually this pure love for one woman in their lives. You know, with John, it's for his mother. With Crowley, it's for Kay, his wife. And it's almost like the possibility of that. Yeah is the thing that keeps him focused yeah right and it's like um so for john wayne his relationship with his mother is not great Mm -hmm. but you can tell that he's actively working towards you know achieving some semblance of a good relationship with her even Mm -hmm. if he has to force it even if he doesn't know what that means for him and i guess in the end they're both kind of vying for that normality or that humanity or whatever you want to call it that k and um oh my god i knew his mother's name but now i don't remember it april k mm-hmm. and april both have for them respectively it's um there is such a viciousness to both of them that I found really funny and very much kind of in keeping with our with our image, a fictional image of serial killers. But then that tenderness was the thing I think that really sets the film apart for me. But the thing I wanted to ask you about is also the the alienness of it all, which not gonna lie, always comes out of nowhere for me because it completely it completely shifts the tone of the film. Right. What do you make I mean- of it? First of all, the way the film is shot, right? Oh it's my god, shot it's shot on film. It's Robbie Ryan. Like it's so beautiful. It's unbelievably gorgeous. And uh, as soon as it starts, you're like, oh my god, this is the world we're in. It's kind of, it's kind of low key, kind of intimate, which I think is perfect because mm-hmm. it does take place in a small town. And I feel like a lot of movies can kind of get tripped up with, uh, with the way they execute things because. They kind of want to go bigger than what they are, even if it is in a small town. Mm-hmm. And this one is just like keeping it close knit, keeping it small, keeping it beautiful, mm-hmm. fucking gorgeous to look at. Mm-hmm. And that, um, oh god, I forgot the question already. Oh. I, I started thinking about the cinematography, and then I just my no. Brain let's just let's fizzled. let's say in the cinematography because I also because it's shot by Robbie Ryan, who's the cinematographer of like Sally Potter and Andrea Arnold and yes. Mike Mills. Like he's a hugely respected and unbelievably talented and prolific Irish cinematographer. I mean, like, you know, he shot American Honey and The Favourite and Marriage Story, you know, mm-hmm. just... Fish Tank, all those. Yeah, well, he, I think I he shot, like, all of Andrea Arnold's stuff. Yeah. And you can tell, like, that granular uh, indie sensibility is there and it works so well with the... It adds so much grit. Yes, exactly. It. Uh, it's just gorgeous to look at. 
It is, but then to go back to the alien stuff. Yes. Okay, so that's the, where we're going. Once the alien stuff starts happening, it completely shifts it everything. It recontextualizes everything. Mm-hmm. So at first you think it's just like this small, sweet, intimate, beautiful thing that we're seeing, right? First, it has a little bit of an eerie factor given mm-hmm. the subject matter. You don't know exactly what's going on. Um, and then once the alien stuff comes in, I honestly think it kind of heightens it to an extent to where... You know, there's something so uh, extraordinary and supernatural contained in this small thing, and it's kept low-key throughout it. So even though it's shifted, it's like, this is the new kind of way to approach a creature feature. Mm-hmm. And do you think that fits into this wider... Because this is 2016. This is very much in the moment where uh, horror is shifting into, you know, the all the commercial stuff still exists, it's still happening, but then there's a lot more films that really feel and look and are structured like art house films, like indie films, but with horror and 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 sci-fi infused into them. Do you think this film kind of fits into that into that wave? Oh yeah, definitely. It definitely has the low key quality. But it also stands out in its approach somehow. And I can't quite put my finger on it. But it's like if I'm watching um, Under the Skin, I can relate it to maybe like three or four other movies and having a similar sort of vibe, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I Am Not a Serial Killer, even though it has similarities with other movies, it's, it's a vibe all on its own. And I can't quite explain what it has that others don't have. Hmm. I mean, maybe let's stick on the vibe point and move on to super dark times, um, <laughs> which is which was released the following year in 2017. And yeah. before we start digging into it, can you summarize the plot of the film for me? Oh, absolutely, I can. So, super dark times uh, follows two best friends, Zach and Josh, who have been best friends since they were little, maybe even kindergarten. They do absolutely everything together. Um, They are just sort of messing around after school, watching TV, going to the gas station. Uh, We see a little bit of their school life and their dynamic. The main thing that's established is how close they are. One day, they are digging around again after school. They have two other people with them. One person that Josh doesn't really like that much. And then that person's friend. So there's four of them kicking it and something very tragic happens, an accident where one of the kids ends up being killed. And the kids are so terrified of actually getting help and telling someone that they decide to just hide it. And this sort of kicks off a whole different set of events that separates Zach and Josh. It sort of ends their friendship, but also, um, there's a dangerous element that starts creeping in. And I don't want to say anything just yet, but yeah. Excellent. So let's talk a bit about the dynamic between the teens before the incident, because we spent quite a lot of time getting to know them. Like you mentioned that um, Zach and Josh are kind of besties since they were kids. And it's set in the 90s, also in a kind of sleepy, uh, small town. But what are these boys like? They're teenage boys, for sure. <laughs> they're immature. Uh, they Their mind is constantly about, like, violent movies, about sex, about girls that they think are cute. They're kind of immature, clearly, but it works. It's just this sort of, uh, it's almost like an innocence that we're seeing, even though they're talking about a lot of fucked up things. Mm-hmm. We get a glimpse into their psyches through this, into their relationships, they have kind of a sweet dynamic almost. Uh, but then the other kid comes into the play. Uh, I forget his name. Daryl. Daryl. Yes. Josh hates Daryl so much. <laughs> Daryl's kind of a loud mouth mm-hmm. and he can be kind of rude. He um, He's the kind of person who does things. He thinks that you guys are both joking, but you're clearly not like you're not enjoying anything he's doing, but he just keeps pushing and pushing. So that's pretty much their dynamic in the beginning. And uh, you see a lot of Zach and Josh just 
being each other's person almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their <laughs> choice A. Which makes the dissolution of their friendship so much more intense. Yes. Yes. To me, that's exactly what Super Dark Times is about. It's about Mm -hmm. a friendship ending. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on, but the main thing is the end of a friendship. I've seen this film compared a lot to Stand By Me. Yeah. Um, And I think that makes a lot of sense because the incident that becomes the reason why this friendship is shattered is like a a violent uh, accident. Um, They don't find a body, but they, you know, this is all spoilerific, but like basically Josh ends up accidentally impaling a Daryl. Yeah. With a katana. (laughs) Oh my God. Which again, is like the nerdiest shit. You know, even when he, he unveils the katana, he was like, "Mm, you know, it's not a proper one, but it'll do. Yeah. Sweetie. Sweetie. <laughs> so, like, how, first of all, kind of, what do you make of the way that that incident plays out? Oh, goodness. Okay, so I remember I, I had said uh, going into it, I didn't know anything about anything. I was just like, Super Dark Times, that's quite a title. It's a great title. I, I wonder what's uh, super dark about it. Let's find out. And so when we get there, the great thing about this movie is that its atmosphere is killer like the moodiness there's yes. a creep factor to it that um i don't know it's sort of because of that slow dread that's steadily rolling in like from the beginning mm-hmm. like something is up but what exactly is it so when we get to that scene you know that you're there like everything's becoming a little bit more heightened the first time i watched it i noticed that <laughs> my heart was beating a little bit faster i was like what's going on something's about to happen And then it happens, and I love the way it's executed because it goes from zero to 100 so quickly, which is how, obviously, a lot of these accidents happen. But the way they deal with the outcome is so – I mean, I hear this movie get a lot of flack for it. Uh, They're like, you know, what a a dumb decision. They should have called the police. But I can understand their logic of not wanting to be blamed for it. And I think for Zach, part of it is – the whole movie he's trying to hold on to his friendship with Josh. And when this accident happens, he's actually the one, not Josh, who decides to hide everything and not go to get help. I think that's even the beginning of him trying to save their relationship from doom. Because if he gets blamed or if uh, Josh gets blamed, that could be the end for them both. So their decisions after it happens are dumb but dumb decisions <laughs> are very important like in green room there would mm-hmm. be no green room without dumb decisions right very true there would be no i know what you did last <laughs> summer without dumb decisions there would be no horror movies period without dumb decisions <laughs> so actually like i i kind of wanted to bring in i know i mentioned some by me but also the dumb decision they make is to hide an accident an accident an accidental murder which yeah. of course in the vein of in the tradition of teen horror makes me think of uh, i know what you did last summer yeah so how do you think kind of this much more low-key, much more art house vibey film, which has the same basic premise, compares to something like that. Because you could get more people into this film pitching it like a a better I know what you did last summer. You totally could. Totally. I think people were... I think most of the people I know who didn't like it, they had been uh, drawn to it with the wrong things. Like maybe they were told it was going to be like something that it actually wasn't like. So that's Mm -hmm. a good point bringing up. I know what you did last summer, but I think um, the reason super dark dark times, the reason super dark times works so well is because it's more of a character study and it's really focused on very small, not small. These are actually kind of big ideas, but they're handled in a very low key way. So you have, this friendship at the center of it. I think it's, to me, I don't know how true this is. It's kind of covering a little bit of toxic masculinity and that male aggression. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has these themes that it's putting under the veneer of just like kind of a straight up horror, right? Like it's so low key, the horror element mm-hmm. that when you're watching it, you you feel almost like it isn't that. And then... But it has that atmosphere is the thing, right? Just yeah. That eeriness. Like, oh, something's not right. It's getting under the skin. And then um, what it does as well is like 
in in a very different way from I'm not a serial killer. I think the character of Josh is really interesting because he always he always has that little bit of a creepy uh, vibe to him, even at yeah. the first start of the of the movie. And then after the incident yeah, happens, the way he talks about the girls. Yeah, and then once he's sort of you know they're dealing with this horrible incident that they're having to hide in different ways and josh almost like leans into the violence and it is very Mm -hmm. much implied that he has like murdered someone else from like knowingly murders a kid from their school and then you know is going to murder the two girls yeah and the way his performance uh charlie tahan's performance kind of subtly shifts i think really reminded me of those creepiest moments uh with max records and 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 i'm not a serial killer where it's like he's he's a boy but there's a darkness there that is starting to peek out as soon as something unleashes it as soon as he gets a taste yeah and meanwhile zach is so scared not just because of the consequences of you know the the thing that they've done but also scared for this friend as in like the fact that his friend might actually be enjoying it or maybe even did it on purpose which i think is like the the very interesting dynamic that films like i know what you did last summer i never go into because the boogeyman is the boogeyman not no one in the group is the boogeyman are also like all about revenge so it's like we did this wrong thing and they're Mm -hmm. gonna come back and pay us back for it It doesn't really deal with them like the fallout of it like mentally emotionally and you see Mm -hmm. that play out a lot with super dark times yeah and the and the other thing as well is like, how do you, to, to piggyback from that, how does uh, Zach react to to what happened? Because he becomes like the the moral center of the movie. Like we spend a lot more time with him while Josh right. is sort of getting and darker and darker. so interesting to me. And I love seeing that shift because like, as you said, Josh has those creepy elements in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. But after it happens, like as soon as it happens, it's... It's Zach who makes it worse, first of all, because he pulls out the sword and the other kid's like, no, you're supposed to leave it in. You're supposed to leave it in. He pulls it out. And I I know it was it was sort of like a like like a teamwork homicide um, or manslaughter, I should say, I guess. Uh, But that's what's so interesting is that after it happens, Zach is almost almost cool-headed like he's very in control of the situation we have to hide the sword Mm -hmm. we have to cover him with leaves we can't tell anyone you should get rid of this um i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of this over here then i'll head back home he punches a wall out of i don't know anger Mm -hmm. after taking care of everything and as soon as he does it he realizes that he fucked up his hand so he starts beating the shit out of his bike so that he can say, oh, yeah, I fell off of it. So it looks mm-hmm. messed up. So he has he's very almost calm and collected about the whole thing, which is why it's so interesting when the dynamic shifts, because um, Josh is an absolute mess mm-hmm. directly after it happens. He's like crying. He's like, I didn't mean to do it. He's blubbering like a baby. And Zach is the one who needs to comfort him. He's like cradling his face like, I know you didn't need to. We just got to take mm-hmm. care of it. It's fine. It's fine. And so seeing that dynamic shift of a. Uh, Zach becoming the one who's more concerned with the morality of it and Josh being the one who's almost too calm about mm-hmm. about murder and going back to stab Daryl uh, a few more times. That is what is so enriching about seeing the story play out, I think, is just seeing how uh, everything can change. Everything else moves on around them. As in, you know, they the girl Allison who really likes Zach and who Josh has a thing for as well. There's like a girl in the middle of their relationship too. And and the dynamic between that is also tense in a different way. But I really love the scenes of also Zach not being able to even engage with that side. Like he yeah. can't even the girl obviously likes him. She tells him directly that she right. likes him. Um and he can't even bring himself to react or kiss her or do anything. Um, and it was and like, I that makes sense. That, that, yeah. makes, that makes absolute sense with the character. Because you, you scarcely see that. If we're talking about the difference between this and I know what you did last summer. You don't really see 
how it can affect them and life is just going on. You often see them trying to like blend in, make everything normal. And Zach is trying to do that. He's trying to make things normal. He even says to Josh, now's not the time to be doing things, uh, doing things that are weird, like not showing up at school, staying Mm -hmm. home all these days. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see he's trying to hold on to that. But you can also see that he's struggling. Like, he really likes this girl, too, obviously. But he Mm -hmm. can't even kiss her. He's like, I'm sorry. I just, I can't. My mind's not there right now. I can't do it. And what do you think about the way that they, the film kind of plays with the horror elements? How do you mean? Well, with, there's the murder, of course, the accident, well, the manslaughter, I should say. But then (laughs) there's the, the creepiness that sets in with Josh. Then there's the additional murder. Then there's the, um, the going back to the scene of the crime to daryl's body seeing that the body has been mutilated and the and the sword the katana and the nightmares yes and the, the nightmares. nightmares are horrific <laughs> oh my yeah. god i think oh my the worst nightmare i think for me that when i watched it i was so uncomfortable was when zach he's basically having a sex dream about him and mm-hmm. allison mm-hmm. but also uh josh is there they're in the place where daryl's body is and you can see how these two things are sort of coming together. I like that most of the horror of it is what could be, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to constantly the threat that, you know, is happening happening presently. Like there's, I don't think there's any. Oh, I'm sorry. At the very end, there's a chase scene. A very yeah. A very oh my god, scary chase scene. Actually, one of the scariest I've seen. Um, but for the most part. I can't explain. It's like um, almost like an emotional horror to it because there's so much you don't know. It's the horror of not knowing. I think there's also the thing that I've seen a lot in the in the making of this series of the podcast that teenagers put in these situations and horror movies very rarely communicate with the adults. Right. Yes. Yes. And here we're literally inside of their heads. Like even even seeing um, Zach's dreams, like we're literally experiencing things through their heads, but they're yeah. not. They are essentially the horror of the emotions and the possibility of something being really, 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 really wrong. As opposed right. to, there's a boogeyman. We need to, we need to terminate them, um, because also Zach. Well, Josh is arrested, but we don't really see what happens with Zach. Like, we don't get a neat bow tie ending for any of the characters. Right. And I kind of love that. I kind of feel like the title um, it, it sort of adds to that or it alludes to that. Because, mm-hmm. like, those are super dark times. It's over now. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just love the not knowing. And I guess I love it because we kind of do know everything that he was trying to keep from happening Mm -hmm. does happen and he could be broken down from that um i just i love the weight of it you know what i mean yeah but you know the thing that's also i think is a choice is the fact that we're actually spared the the violence yeah like even the scene where daryl is impaled we see it through his face we we never see a shot of him on it's the not katana. Very gory. No. And even, you know, when there's uh when Josh is with Allison and the other girl and he's like already killed one of them. Yeah. We just see, you know, the the body on the bed, but we don't actually see any killing. Which I think also makes it a very a very different take on a teen horror. And it's also extremely effective too, because what we don't see makes it so that when we do see something you're like crawling out of your skin. So like when uh, Josh is chasing Zach around the house with a katana and Zach puts his arm up to try to block the blow and like the katana goes straight down into Mm -hmm. it and you see, oh my God. (laughs) I'm just thinking about it now. And Owen Campbell's like his expression, everything, that whole scene, it was just magnificent. So I feel like- so much. Yeah, that adds to the element of like, Mainly, um, not Josh, Zach just sort of 
wondering what's going to happen if something is going to happen and being paranoid because he doesn't Mm -hmm. actually see a lot of the violence he sees glimpses of it Mm -hmm. he sees the end result of Mm -hmm. it and uh it leaves his imagination these dreams to fill in the blanks that's so astute because you're right it's it's so much a horror about paranoia as much as it is about the actual violence and the actual things that happen right and i i just love that you know, we have Josh as the person we're seeing this because like, I mean, I think the writer said originally they had wanted uh, Josh to be the main character mm-hmm. and to show the sort of descent into, I guess, madness almost. Mm-hmm. But then they thought about like their experiences in high school and their friendships. And then it came, it became more about seeing someone you love go down that mm-hmm. path. And so that's how Zach became the main character. And I, I truly love that decision because I don't think there would have been anything wrong with Mm -hmm. Josh being the main character, but I think having it be Zach, who is paranoid about all of these things, it sort of adds an element to this. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about the ending? The ending, which is the shot of Allison kind of uh, doing the same movement we've seen her do before, framed in the same way we've seen her frame before, kind of a shot of her in class from the back, like with her hair up in a ponytail. But now she has two scars on her neck from where she was attacked and cut by Josh. Um, And then she puts her hair down and the film ends on her face. What, What do you... What do you make of that ending? And I will ask you about the wild um, conspiracy theory that's like circulating online about this film. Oh, God, you got to tell me about the. Oh, my, I'm looking forward to that already. <laughs> but um, I don't know. The first time I saw it, I guess I was just sort of. I was kind of heartbroken, actually, mm-hmm. because like I was happy. Obviously, Allison lived. She made it out of that alive. But having those scars and then her taking down her hair, it was like. Obviously, this is going to affect her for the rest of her life. It's going to change everything that she does, the way she does it, the way she presents herself. Some part of her will try to move on, which is what a lot of people and like teenagers do when uh, they're met with something traumatic. They try their hardest to just go back to normal. Just like, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. But you're still really greatly affected by it. Um, And that's what I saw. But I was glad we ended with Allison. I don't know why, but. I, I liked it a lot. I guess it's because we're a lot of the time in Zach's head and a little bit we see Josh's worldview mm-hmm. and they have a very limited perspective of like women and girls. I think Zach has a better perspective than Josh, maybe because he's raised by a single mom. Um, but it's still very limited, very childish, very stereotypical sometimes. And we get these elements of them not fully understanding um these complexities i guess you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah so what is the conspiracy theory i mean i'm so curious so the theory is that allison was in on the murders the entire time and that she actually egged on josh to commit the murders because he had a massive crush on her and she felt rejected by zach really that is the theory it's- oh my god it is it is unpopular, but they are. I am looking at it right now. There is a very long Reddit uh, thread talking about it, specifically using the fact that the last line in the film, which she when she puts up her hand in class, is like, "What was women's contribution to the industrial revolution?" <laughs> and she puts up her hand, and it's as if like, "Well, you know, my contribution okay. to this whole story is that I I orchestrated all the murders." It was me. <laughs> I don't know if I subscribe to this, but I kind of dig it in its own right. I have to have a lot of respect for conspiracy theories about movies in particular, because like conspiracy theories about like real people are kind of like, "Mm," you know, but like movies, that's always fun. Like, I don't know the ideas that people come up with. It's very it's like uh, making a writing a creative essay when you're Mm -hmm. in high school and you're just like grasping at straws but sometimes you come up with something really like oh you know i hadn't considered that good job allison and i kind of i think if anything regardless of whether people can subscribe to this theory or not i do love any film that leaves you enough room to create those theories and to read into them and technically you can find enough material to sustain your theory in the film it's there because it's like it's pretty open to interpretation 
that's the beautiful thing. Oh my, I see so many people who uh, have a, a bone to pick with this movie because of. Do you? Yeah, a lot of. Oh my goodness, really? Most of my friends hate this movie, and I, I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> I didn't realize it was an option to hate this movie. How? I, I didn't Why? either. And I was, I was mind boggled. That's why I was nervous going into it the second time because it had been like four or five years since I saw it, and I was mm-hmm. like, my God, will I, will I still like it? Because I loved it, and yeah, I mean, it's still great. But they have a bone to pick because of the um, ambiguity towards the end, and also because I think people wanted this to be a quote unquote elevated thing where it wasn't going to just be that. Um, Josh went this way with, you know, having a, a a liking for violence and then Zach went this way. I think for some people who expected this to be some sort of <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos piece, that <laughs> was too um, simple for them. But the mm-hmm. simplicity is like one of my favorite things. And I love the ambiguity of it, too, because when I get to the end of the movie, I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to know. Like, I'm mm-hmm. happy with this. Mm hmm. I, I agree with you. And I'm still kind of flabbergasted that people were annoyed at this movie in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. No, I was too. The first time I heard like a really harsh critique of it, I was like, what? I thought we all loved her. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And um, before we wrap up, Yara, I kind of wanted to bring both of these films together. And yes. especially in the figure of of John and Josh. So because they are effectively our two teenage serial killers. Yeah. How or aspiring ones. Um <laughs> how how do you think they both connect? Because we've kind of talked about kind of how we love that both of these films uh, you know, both both of these films are about teenage boys, which is interesting for genre. Yeah. And right. Him- very oh much. my god, yeah. It's yeah. so rare for the horror genre. <laughs> yeah. To be go so in-depth on, on teenage boys. And right. teenage boys who are not 27-year-old actors playing teenage boys, they're they're proper teenagers. Yes. Like even the actors playing them, as we've mentioned. So because what, like I think Charlie Tahan was maybe like 19 when they were filming this. Yeah. Super and Dark Times and Max Records was 18. Exactly. And so my so my my really my question is how do you think uh the hold on let me phrase this properly how do you think um Josh and John kind of speak to each other in a way through through these films I feel like it's as um almost as simple as Josh is everything that John is trying not to be and every impulse he's trying to control you see Mm -hmm. them like it's so crazy because when you you sent me the options and i saw i am not a serial killer super dark times i was like fuck yes oh my (laughs) god because i saw the parallels right away and i was like yes this is beautiful um but that's what I definitely see, especially because mm-hmm. I watched um, Super Dark Times. I rewatched it before watching I Am Not a Serial Killer. Mm-hmm. And so going into I Am Not a Serial Killer, kind of thinking about Josh, mm-hmm. I was looking at, um, I keep wanting to say Max. I was looking at John Wayne mm-hmm. and um, I was like, yeah, this is, I can see his rules. This is everything he's trying so hard to control because just like with Josh, this is something that could just you know any moment yeah. it just turns on uh but i also am fascinated because <laughs> at the end of the day i feel like both of these movies are kind of about relationships mm-hmm. and i think that's the beauty of them both like they're stories about people not wanting things to change in their respective relationships mm-hmm. so with super dark times it's zach and josh going from being a package deal like mm-hmm. we've been friends our entire lives from being Zach and Josh to Zach and Josh, two separate people. And this horrible accident happens and Zach is desperately trying to hold on to his friend because he needs him after mm-hmm. this trauma and also because he doesn't want anything to change. So his desperation is kind of what fuels this entire thing. Um, and then with I Am Not a Serial Killer, the body that Christopher Lloyd's character is inhabiting is breaking down. It can't sustain him any longer, but he's trying so desperately to keep it so that he can stay with his wife 
So I feel like, you know, we have John and we have Josh and then we have Zach and we have uh, Crowley Mm -hmm. and we have two different things going on of like trying to contain the impulses that we have, but maybe Mm -hmm. the monster inside and also trying to hold on to things that are just they're they're already gone. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful (laughs) summary of them of both of these films and. Yara, is there anything you wanted to mention about either Super Dark Times or I'm Not a Serial Killer that we haven't covered in our conversation? Um, I just wanted to say mm-hmm. I, I do feel like uh, both of these movies are very interesting and in that I think, well, especially with Super Dark Times, it's like a slight meditation on toxic masculinity. And you have these uh, these these boys who are really, they're looking to their mothers for you know, a parental figure, because in both instances, their dads are out of the picture, right? Mm-hmm. So you have them grappling with that, but also grappling with uh, trying to connect with their mothers in a sense. And I don't know if there's anything special that I can say about that, but it's something that I noticed that I picked up on for both movies. And I was like, huh, that is something. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for, for your time and for your insight on both of these films. Really appreciate it. Thank you for it. having and me. Always a pleasure I, I to have you to on. I hope we get to do this again because I love it. I, I loved this. Absolutely. Anytime you want. <laughs> Next time we could just talk about Super Dark Times the whole, <laughs> the whole episode. <laughs> we'll talk about the music choices. We'll be like, Charlie Dawn is so fantastic. <laughs> yes. I'm very I'm very up for that I think this is a film that just keeps on giving I really want more people to watch it because it's so moody it's so atmospheric it's very violent both emotionally and just the the implications of it like I think it does it uses that whole thing of that horror film sometimes forget uh of, it's so much more powerful to imply things and let them yes. live and take shape in the audience's mind because that is always going to be a much more horrifying place than what's on screen. And right, because you can't escape it. <laughs> exactly. And I say that as someone who... I do love a bit of gore. I do love body horror. Oh, definitely. But I'd rather subtlety done right than badly done body horror. Yes, yes. And I think this was the right approach. I think like it's a movie that was first of all it was written very well but it could have been botched depending on the execution and it was executed so beautifully and i know they took inspiration from things like all about lily choo choo and stuff like that that like slow moving teen angst that gets under your skin mm-hmm. and I, I i just love how teen angst is is like horrified in this because it's a, it's a really important part of the story actually and i'm really glad you brought up the the writing because i think you are correct. It's super well written. And the guys who wrote it, Ben Collins and Luke uh, Piotrowski, also wrote The Night House, which is one of my favorite oh my horror God. films from a few years ago. And they're writing the new Hellraiser, which makes me excited. No, see, now I'm stoked. Mm-hmm. Now I'm totally stoked because I, yeah. I heard they were doing... um like a remake of Hellraiser and I was like on the fence but now they're behind it okay well you know what Eh, I'm looking forward to what they come up with yeah and also they have not disappointed me yet I like David Bruckner so like the guy who did um I think well he did the night house and I want to say he did the ritual yes he directed the ritual which really surprised me it was good it was proper scary yeah yeah (laughs) I'm 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 tentatively looking forward to Hellraiser 2022. Right. I mean, that's, I guess that's the only problem with making a good movie is that now people expect that of you. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're like, oh, you know what? All these, now if we're disappointed, we're going to be way harsher. Yes. We're going to be so harsh on Hellraiser because it's like, wait, I saw Super Dark Times. I saw The Lighthouse. I know what you're capable of. But maybe it will make people, even whether Hellraiser is a disappointment or not, the jury's still out. I don't think the film's even finished yet. But yeah. um, maybe it'll make people go back and discover Super Dark Times. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I, I always wanted to make a video about Super Dark Times, but mm-hmm. I just had no idea where to start. So... But I hope people do watch more of it because it's it's fantastic. And like you said, it's moody and atmospheric. Love the vibe. Loving the vibe. (laughs) So Yara, where can people find more of your work online? 
Oh, you can find me on YouTube under the name, the moniker, Yara Zaid. I make a lot of video essays about media and people and things that piss me off. Um, and also on Letterboxd, where I log movies that I watch occasionally. That's pretty much it. But, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Yara. Thank you.